If you have your Bible with you today, I would ask you to take it and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. We turned to John, chapter 1 last week, and the plan is to go there again next Sunday for these three Sundays nearest Christmas. As much of the world celebrates Christmas, you have to... You have to know this, it's, it's obvious in many ways that the world doesn't celebrate Christmas for the reasons that we see here in John chapter 1. Many do not celebrate Christmas properly as they should, giving glory to God for the Lord Jesus Christ. But I would say this, if Christians are going to celebrate Christmas, John chapter 1 gives us a solid foundation for our celebrating. John chapter 1 informs our celebrating. Now, I'm not suggesting that the Bible teaches that we should or shouldn't celebrate Christmas. In fact, the Bible says nothing of Christmas. But John chapter 1 is a great place to start to look for the proper foundation for our celebrating. If believers choose to celebrate Christmas, and I believe the Bible allows for each family to choose for themselves if they will celebrate Christmas or not, John chapter 1 is going to equip us so that our celebrating will be properly placed where it belongs on the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go together to John 1, to the text of our study this morning, which is found in verse 14. I want you to follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read from the English Standard Version. It says, verse 14, John chapter 1, "...and the Word became flesh." and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now I noted last Sunday that there are several descriptive names seen here in John chapter 1 for Jesus. And we saw last time that Jesus is called the Word, He is called the light, he is called the life, and each of those names helps us understand who Jesus is. Each of the descriptive names we can see here for Jesus in John chapter 1 helps us understand who he is and why he came to earth. And if you want to know how to properly celebrate the birth of Christ at Christmas, then the purpose for which the Apostle John wrote this gospel is a good place to start. He says in John chapter 20, in verses 30 through 31, he speaks of the purpose for writing this book where John tells us that Jesus had done many other signs and wonders in the presence of the disciples, which he didn't write about. But he says in verse 31 of John chapter 20 that these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So John wants his readers to know who Jesus is. He wants us to know who Jesus is. This is God's Word. This is God's inspired Word. He moved the Apostle John to write these things so that we would know who Jesus is. And so that we would not just know who He is, but knowing who He is, that we would believe in Him. 
Because if you believe in Jesus, you will have life in his name. And I don't think there's a greater reason for celebrating Christmas than this. Life in his name. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as God the Son. Life in his name. Just think of that. We saw this last time. Jesus is the Word. He's the living Word. John 1.1 In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And one of the reasons that Jesus is called the Word is because through Jesus, the heart and mind of God is revealed to mankind. Through Jesus, the heart and mind and nature of God is revealed to mankind. Now we know words convey meaning. Words convey thought, and certainly there can be no greater meaning and thought conveyed than the heart and mind of God. Consider that. That God in His mercy and grace chose His Son to speak to us, to communicate to us who He is and what He has done and what He is doing. And we properly celebrate at Christmas when we rejoice over this fact that in Jesus, God communicates very clearly the love that He has for mankind. In the Lord Jesus Christ, God communicates His love for us. Then we noted that Jesus is the light. Verse 4 says that in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And verse 9 calls Jesus the true light. Light means life. Light dispels darkness. Light guides us in the darkness. And Jesus Christ, as the light, leads to life. And we properly celebrate Christmas when we rejoice in the fact that believing in Jesus the light means eternal life and forgiveness of sins. Now we come to verse 14, where we see another descriptive name for Jesus, which is Son of God. And this too will inform our proper celebrating of Christmas. But whether we celebrate Christmas or not, we got to rejoice that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth. Jesus, God's Son, came to earth in human flesh. John says here in verse 14 that, look at it, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, now, John the Baptist was sent as a witness to this truth. Later, in verse 34, John writes that John the Baptist said of Christ, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And then in verse 49, the Apostle John tells us that Nathaniel also recognized Jesus for who he was and said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. 
Son of God. It's a name for Christ used several times elsewhere in John's Gospel, such as John chapter 5 and verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. John 10, verse 36, Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? John eleven four. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. John eleven twenty seven. Jesus said to him, Yes, Lord. Or she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And then there's this encouragement, along with a solemn warning. John chapter 3, verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We also hear this name earlier. I read it, John chapter 20, verse 31, that these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And that statement in John 20.31 makes very clear the importance of this name for Christ. John says he's writing this gospel so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now this is an important statement because this tells us who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. And in the passage before us this morning, we're told a great deal about Jesus, the Son of God, in this one verse. Note that in verse 14, John says, The Word became flesh. That is, the Word took on humanity. But don't think here that Jesus stopped being God. That would be incorrect. Jesus didn't stop being God and start being human. This tells us that Jesus, in all his deity, took on flesh, took on humanity. Jesus Christ, both God and man, in the same person. God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 6 and 7 makes this clear when it says of Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I I so appreciate what author Jared Wilson writes about this passage when he says, Wait a second, you might say. Didn't Jesus disregard his deity as something to be grasped? Yes, 
But what Paul is getting at in Philippians 2 is not that Jesus did not hold or maintain the fullness of his divinity, but that he did not exploit it or leverage it against his experiencing the fullness of humanity. He didn't pull the parachute, in other words. Think of that. God taking on humanity, still being fully God, choosing not to remove himself from the human experience. Jared Wilson goes on to say, instead, what we see in the wonder of the God-man is a miraculous extension, not reduction. Jesus made himself nothing, says Philippians 2.7. Yes, but this was not a voiding of his essential deity. It is instead an appraisal of the bewilderment of the incarnation. The incarnation posits a self-willed emptying consisting of Jesus' refusal to employ all divine abilities at his disposal, not an emptying that would consist in a subtraction from the Godhead. The alternatives to simultaneous incarnation and omnipresence are a lesser incarnation on one side or a lesser Godhead on the other. It's an incredible truth that God took on human flesh and came and experienced the human suffering and did not stop being God, but chose not to reserve Himself from the pain and the struggle. So Jesus came, God the Son, the Word made flesh, and dwelt among us, Jesus the God-man. And note also that this is not Jesus being created either. This is God taking on humanity. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, Now, Christ's human flesh was God's tabernacle. And it is in Christ that God meets with man and in Christ that man has dealings with God. The Jew of old went to God's tent in the center of the camp if he would worship. We come to Christ if we would pay our homage. If the Jew would be released from ceremonial uncleanness after he had performed the rites, he went up to the sanctuary of his God that he might feel again that there was peace between God and his soul. And we, having been washed in the precious blood of Christ, have access with boldness unto God, even the Father through Christ who is our tabernacle and the tabernacle of God among men. I love that thought. It's a powerful thought that brings to bear on this passage. Jesus, the tabernacle of God among men. How gracious of God to send His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the God-man. And Spurgeon points to that next phrase here in verse 14 when he talks about the tent and the sanctuary. We heard much about that during our series of studies in the book of Hebrews. It says that Jesus dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we properly celebrate at Christmas when we rejoice that real that. Re- 
that really and truly God came. God really came to live among us. Just think of it. In the Old Testament, we're shown that God dwelt in the midst of His people in the tabernacle. But now, John says that God has come and dwelt among us. The power and the mind and the will of God in human flesh, in the body of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. But John goes even further and he says, and we have seen His glory. And this is why Jesus came. So that we might see His glory and recognize Him for who He is. And then believe in Him. And then be saved. The evidence was clear. There were witnesses to the deity of Jesus. It was seen in His glory. Jesus couldn't hide His glory. But you might wonder, how did they see His glory? Well, for one, Jesus' glory was seen by Peter and James and the Apostle John on the Mount of Transfiguration. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 and 29 paint the picture for us this way. Now about eight days after these sayings, He took with Him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as He was praying, the appearance of His face was altered and His clothing became dazzling white. They clearly saw the glory of Jesus then. And it was powerful. It was such a powerful moment for them, so powerful that they didn't want to ever leave that place. But that's not the only way they saw His glory. They also saw it spiritually. Look at how John describes the glory they witnessed as they were with Jesus. Verse 14 says, Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So first he says that they saw his glory as Christ, the Father's Son. Being the Word made flesh. Being the light of life. Jesus is the glory. He is the radiance of God. In fact, we saw it back when we studied Hebrews 1.3 that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. So Jesus is glorious because of who He is. He is the Father's Son, Jesus, the Son of God. And then John says that they had seen the glory of Jesus because He is full of grace and truth. And this is the glory of Jesus Christ they saw because of who He is. This is the the fullness of Jesus Christ, grace and truth. And this is essentially what we proclaim when we tell the gospel. This is essentially what we tell people when we tell them of the good news of Jesus Christ. To believe in Jesus Christ is to believe in the truth. And we are saved by the grace of God. And that's why verse 13 reminds us that the new life and the forgiveness of sins that we receive when we believe in Christ is not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It is by 
God's grace that we receive life when we believe in the truth. It is by God's grace that we are cleansed and forgiven our sins when we believe in Jesus Christ. And that's the most important way the glory of Christ is seen. When we see Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when we see Jesus as the Savior that He is and trust in Him for forgiveness of sins and eternal life, we are recognizing the glory of God incarnate, God in human flesh, the glory of God, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And we properly celebrate Christmas when we recognize this truth and praise God for it. And those who properly recognize this truth and properly celebrate Christmas, we ought to pray for and witness to the world that doesn't yet see this. That they might too worship God. That they might also see who He is. That they might also recognize the God-man, Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, Jesus Christ makes God known. Oh, that the world would see Him. This is what the world needs. We are disheartened when we see troubling times and situations in the news. And we might be driven to say what the world needs is better politicians. And I would argue that what God's Word is proclaiming to us is what the world needs is for believers to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to share the good news of Christ so that the world might see who He is and believe in Him and be changed one person at a time from the inside out. As God moves in and takes up residence in each and every life who trusts in the Son of God, believing in His name, giving that person, His indwelling presence through the Spirit, giving that person His Word to transform their minds and lives in every area of their life. Jesus Christ makes God known. Jesus Christ reveals the Father, Son of God. And through faith in Christ, we're made right with God. That's an incredible reason to celebrate at Christmas. You celebrate Christmas? Celebrate the fact that through Jesus, and because you've trusted in Him, you are made right with God. And the only way to properly celebrate Christmas is to come to Christ. To believe in Him and to worship Him as God the Son. And so I ask, do you know the Son of God? Have you come to Him? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that He died for your sins so that you might be forgiven your sins eternally? That you might have new life in Christ? So that you might be born twice and die once? instead of the alternative, being born once and dying.
twice. Dying in human flesh and dying in your sins, enslaved to your sins. Do you know the Son of God? Have you believed in the Son of God for the forgiveness of your sins? You realize if if you're hearing me today and you're hearing this good news and you realize you've not trusted Christ, I want you to know, I want you to realize this, you can trust Christ right where you are right now. Cry out to God. Cry out to God in prayer. He hears your prayer of repentance. Trust in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And then you will be able to properly celebrate Christmas. And you will be able to properly honor God with your life as He moves in through the Holy Spirit and moves into your life with the Word. And if you do know the Son, I would ask if you're living for His glory. Does living for God's glory drive you to honor Him every day? Do you honor the Son with your life? Do you obey His Word? Do you seek to know His Word? Is your highest aim in life to please and honor God? And I'm not just talking about being obedient. I must obey. I must obey. I must obey. That's not what I'm saying. God calls you to obedience. But He calls you to know His Son. He calls you to know Him through His Son. So that your pursuit of God-honoring obedience is a joy and a privilege. May we not only worship the Christ at Christmas, but may we also worship Him with each and every day because as one commentator writes about our passage this morning, Christ, who is in heaven, has clothed Himself in our flesh so that by stretching out His brotherly hand to us, He may raise us to heaven with Himself. And we can say, praise God. Praise God.